The Bible says, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, because you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin, and the angel answered. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative Mary, is going to have a child in her old age. She who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. I love the humanity of this story. I love the words that give us a sneak peek of what was happening in the heart of this unbelievable young woman. I love the phrases that, that kind of crawl into the cracks of the story because they take the story out of our sanitized, beautiful little nativities and they put them right in the middle of somebody's life, Mary's life. I mean, think about these little phrases. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. <laughs> Do you think? <laughs> Do you think? How in the world would you react if an angel showed up in your bedroom, not in a dream, manifested the holy presence of God in your bedroom and told you you were going to be pregnant, for the ladies, okay? Um, right? That you were going to be pregnant and you were going to be raising God's son. I mean, I know many of you have probably have a very spiritual answer. You probably would have bowed your head and folded your hands and said, okay. Can we be real for just a moment? Don't you think you would have been just the least bit troubled if an angel showed up and said that to you? I mean, I, I think I would have appealed it, questioned it, asked for it to be transferred. I mean, can you find somebody else, God? Next phrase. How about this one? How will this be since I'm a virgin? There's a very logical question, right? That's a question based on solid understanding of human physiology, right? I mean, I would have asked that question of well, and, and the answer is a little mysterious. The angel said, God's going to do a miracle in you, Mary. God is going to touch you and place life inside of you while maintaining your perfect purity. Some of you are trying to make sense of that. 
don't. That's why they call it a miracle. God's going to do a miracle in you, Mary, and the Holy One is going to be born, is going to be called the Son of God. How about the next phrase? I'm finding it in one of the little cracks. Nothing is impossible with God. Well, that's reassuring, right? When an angel shows up and completely freaks you out by saying, you're going to get pregnant. Nice to know nothing is impossible with God, right? Nothing is impossible. Haven't had a job for a year. Nothing is impossible with God. But my family's falling apart, and I'm not sure whether God's going to be able to rally them at Christmas time. Nothing is impossible with God. But the doctors told me I'm terminal, and there is no hope. Nothing is impossible with God. How about this last little words? May it be to me as you've said. Wow. That's not bad for a teenager, is it? A full declaration of surrender at her young age. Pregnant teenagers are tough. In my very first church, my senior pastor, my friend, Jim, had to walk through a very tough time when he found out that his 16-year-old daughter was pregnant. Jim was a high-profile pastor in a small town. You do the math. I got a front row seat watching Jim handle the situation. I listened to him pray. I saw him cry. I was there when he forgave the young man who was involved. I watched him fall in love with his twin granddaughters before they were ever born. A few months before the birth of the girls, Jim's daughter and, and her boyfriend, Kirk, asked permission to stand in front of the church and ask for forgiveness. Jim didn't ask them. They asked Jim, would that be okay? I'll never forget that morning as long as I live. Jim stepped to the podium and in a quiet but very firm voice said, Kirk and Tara have asked for an opportunity to speak to you. But before they come, I want to remind you of something. She is my daughter. And I am her dad. And love, forgiveness, and mercy flowed through Emmanuel Free Church because a daddy loved his little girl. I've been approaching Christmas a little different this year from a very different vantage point because I'm a daddy and I love my little girl. Jewish tradition, Mary probably would have been about 14 or 15 years old when she was betrothed to Joseph. We like to put her in her mid-20s because it's easier for us, but she wasn't. In just a couple of weeks, my precious daughter is going to be turning 14. So I've been looking at the story a little different this year. I feel very close to a person in the Christmas story who's never even mentioned but had to be there. You know who I feel close to? I feel close to Mary's dad. I wonder what he said when Mary told him the story. I wonder if he knew about the pregnancy before or after. I wonder if he believed her or if he thought his little girl had lost it. Think about it. McKenna's told me lots about her dreams, but I've never actually believed them to be real because she tells me they're dreams. Did Mary's dad believe her? I wonder if he yelled at her when he found out she was pregnant. 
Did he call her bad names because the family's reputation would have been ruined? Or did he hug her and tell her that no matter what, she'd always be his little girl? What did he say to Joseph? What did he do to Joseph? I mean, that's what I want to know. Right? Did he just stare at him for a really, really long time? Would he talk to him at all? Did, did they ever sit down and have a conversation? We have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us. How did he handle the whispers around town? Did he stop the conversations and defend his little girl's honor? Or did he just kind of fade into the background and cry over the future that his little girl had lost? What did he do? What did he say? Was he like a lot of guys? Did he just leave? Did he? I wonder. I wonder, did Mary go to Elizabeth's house because she wanted to or because she got sent away? Did her dad send her away? The truth is we have no idea. Scripture mentions nothing of him or Mary's mother, so we're left to wonder, how did a young girl handle all of this on her own? What did she have to let go of release so that she could hold communion, the body and the blood of Christ in her hands? One of the releases we're quick to notice is one we all struggle with. If you read the story, I'll tell you what it is. Mary releases worry for worship. I mean, if you lived her life, wouldn't you be just a little bit worried? How are we going to do this? How are we going to handle this? How are we going to pay for all these bills? Never expected to see a child coming. Joseph, how are you going to get a job? You're going to go to work in, 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 in the carpentry? I mean, what, are you, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I would have asked so many questions. There was so much happening. And yet after the angel's visit, we don't find Mary freaking out and worrying. We actually find her worshiping. In fact, she sings a song. Listen to the lyrics. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He's been mindful of the humble estate of His servant. From now on, all generations will be blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him. From generation to generation, He's performed mighty deeds with His arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their good thrones, but has lifted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He's helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as He said to our Father, She worships. In the middle of her trial, she worships. When your family shows up this week, you should worship. When you don't get what you ask for, you should worship. When stuff is broken before noon, you should worship. When someone spills cranberry on your white carpet, you should worship. When your boss gives you a subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club as your Christmas bonus, you should worship. In the middle of her confusion, in the middle of the morning sickness, in the middle of dealing with Joseph, in the middle of her whole life being turned upside down, she says, my soul glorifies him. My spirit rejoices. God has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Secondly, Mary releases her future, her life. She makes a simple statement, may it be to me as you have said. And in that moment, Mary takes her hand off of the flight controls of her life. 
Mary's got a lot of dreams. I know 14-year-old girls have dreams. I've got one in my house right now. Because of the snow last week, I got to go with her when they took her braces off. She turned and smiled at me, melted me into a puddle. (laughs) She's got so many options. Unbelievable potential. And Mary's no different. Maybe her dream was always to get married and raise a family. That's a noble, noble dream. Maybe she wanted to change her world. Maybe she wanted to make a difference. Maybe she wanted to forge a new path. We don't know what her dream was, but we know in a moment when God asked, she surrendered her future to whatever God had with the song coming out of her mouth. Because she surrendered, God got so close to her she felt him. A few other releases I think are important for us to know. I mean, this one's logical. Mary had to release her physical body to God's will. I mean, that means the morning sickness, the stretch marks, the uncomfortableness, the sore back, the swollen ankles, the labor, the whole deal. She gave it to God. Mary had to trust God with everything, including her body, in order to bring glory to God. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Maybe we should treat it that way. What else did Mary have to release? Well, she did have to release her son to fulfill his destiny. We can never forget the fact that Mary was a good little Jewish girl, which means she would have been raised with many, many scriptures poured into her. They would have been stamped on her heart, engraved on her soul. She knew, Genesis chapter 3, big fancy term, the euangelion, the very first gospel. She would have known, Genesis 3 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Mary would have learned that since she was a kid, but she never would have thought in a million years that she was going to be the woman or that her son. Jesus would be the one to crush the snake once and for all. Mary would have heard Isaiah chapter 9. Just listen to it. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on his day of Father David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. And from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish This Mary knew what the Bible had to say about her boy. Mary knew that the tiny child 
that she would wrap in swaddling clothes and lay in a manger. She knew why he came. She knew why he was here. He was here to save us. What did she think when she saw his little hand stretched to heaven? What did she think when he cried? What did she think when he did what babies do? What did she think in the middle of the night when nobody was around and all she could do was worship? Janet, would you sing for us, please? Let him go his whole life. When he was small, the Bible tells us of a conversation that happens when Jesus says to his mom, got to be about my dad's business. And he wasn't talking about Joseph. He went and did what God called him to do. And Mary just had to keep letting him go and letting him go. Come on, mom and dad. How easy would that be for you? One of the final times we find Mary, we find her at the crucifixion, releasing her son into God's hands. The Bible says near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mom there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said this to his mother, dear woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, here's your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. She was there at the beginning, and she was there at the end. Every time Mary held Jesus in her arms as a child, as an infant, as a toddler, as a pre-adolescent teenager, as a young man, as an adult, every time Mary hugged her son, she was holding communion in her hands. The body and the blood of Christ. Mary let her son go so that he could be near so that he could come here. So that you and I on this candlelight communion night could come to his table and hear the beautiful words, the body and the blood of Christ for you. Just for you. Jesus is with his closest friends. In the days before his life would be taken from him, in the days before he would lay his life down, Scripture records this is what happened. I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, the Lord Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks on the cup. Because anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. In a few moments, we're going to come to the table. If you have a personal relationship with him, he wants you to come. Many of us go into disqualification mode. Yeah, but I did this and I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. If you know him, come. Receive what he gave to you. This is his gift to you at Christmas time. This is what he did to save me and you. This is what allows us to be washed as white as snow. This is his gift to us at Christmas time. Don't reject the gift. Know Him in your heart. And draw near. If you've never been to a communion service at Christ the King, I'm just going to explain to you how it's going to be done. Those of you that are veterans, you can just tolerate what I'm going to talk about because you understand and you can help guide people in the right way. In a moment, an usher is going to come and stand on the right-hand side of your section. In front of each section is a communion table, and I'm going to ask those who are serving to please exit their seats right now and come and join me at the tables. The usher is going to dismiss your section row by row, and you're going to stand when it comes to your turn. You're going to exit to your right. I need you to go to your right. If you go to your left and decide to go rogue on me, it's going to be very, very bad for everyone. So we're all going to dismiss to our right. You're going to walk down the side of your section and you're going to approach both of the people who are standing in front of you. Please utilize both of them. If you don't, the second person over will feel deeply offended that nobody wants to take communion from them and they will sulk for the rest of Christmas. (laughs) And we don't want that to happen, okay? You're going to approach both of the servers. They're going to hold out a communion tray and you're going to serve yourself. The bread represents as a symbol the broken body of Jesus. The cup represents the blood that he shed for you and me. Mary's little boy for you and me. We serve grape juice in honor of all of our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ the King who are in active recovery. We would never do anything to put a tripping in front of you. We honor you as our brothers and sisters. We celebrate with you in the recovery that God has you on right now. There are receptacles for your cup that you can place as you're heading back to your seat. You're going to exit up the opposite side that you came, so ultimately you're walking in a great big circle. If you choose not to participate, we honor that here. In fact, I would thank you if you choose not to participate. Thank you for honoring what it is that we're doing. Thank you for seeing the holiness in this. And if you choose not to participate, stand up when it's your rose turn, step back into your seat, let everybody go by. Nobody's even going to think twice. We're just glad you're here. So in a few moments, as Pastor Sam leads us, I'm going to ask those that are in the front row 
to do a very good job of modeling this. And even though it's going to be weird, I'm going to ask you to still exit to your right, curl around in front of the people, and let's have communion together. Those that are in the overflow, we have pastors there who will be serving you as well. We welcome you into the sanctity of this moment. Front row, would you please stand in all eight of the sections? Exit to your right. Let's take communion together. Pastor Sam. May the Prince of Peace, who gave you the greatest gift of all, may he saturate your Christmas with himself. And may you know that he is. God bless you, Christ the King. We'll see you on Christmas Eve. Merry Christmas.